Um, I'm very excited to be here this morning and honored to, to be preaching. Um, I kind of, I was wrestling quite a bit with this uh, passage, which kind of surprised me because it's a pretty, pretty common passage. It's the parable of the lost sheep. And if you've um, been around a church at all, you probably have heard it at some point. And as I kind of wrestled through and was thinking through, I was reminded of uh, when I was in college. Uh, between my junior and senior year of college, I actually ran a day camp at a, at a Salvation Army in Red Bank, New Jersey. So I was, I was 21 years old, and for some reason they put me in charge of this day camp where I had, I had about 33 students who were from ages 6 to 13, um, and then I had four or five staff members who were like, you know, 16, 17. They were counselors. Um, and we did a lot of cool things, but the coolest thing we got to do was um, well, the last day, we actually went to Six Flags there in Jersey. And so um, there's me in charge of 33 6 to 13-year-olds at Six Flags. Um, and so I split everybody up into uh, different groups with different counselors, sent them off on their day and said, go do what you need to do, have fun, uh, and then let's meet back here in the parking lot at the Vans at 4.30. And so 4.30 comes, and I'm, uh, I'm standing there at the Vans watching everybody come in, and uh, I, I, counselors are arriving, and all of a sudden I notice one counselor whom I'll call for the sake of the story, uh, Melinda, because that's her name, um, <laughs> and I hope she's watching. Um, <laughs> and uh, she starts coming back, and I notice, I say, I notice, Melinda, you only have four students, you're missing one. And she said, oh yeah, She's like, you know, Bridget, all day, has just been kind of not paying attention and wandering around her own little world. And about 45 minutes ago, we totally lost track of her. Okay. And you came back to the vans. Amazing. Um, so, so I take off running. Like, I just ran to the gate. And, like, my stamp had kind of rubbed off at that point. And so the guy at the gate started arguing with me um, about whether or not I could go in. And I'm like, listen, dude, there's a kid in there that I'm in charge of. i got to get in there. You can come with me if you want. Somehow I got in. I don't remember how. I may have ran in when he wasn't looking. Um, and so I start running up the street, like the main drag there. And I didn't get that far. And all of a sudden, there's Bridget just walking around, like not a care in the world, looking at all the cotton candy and the rides. And I was like, Bridget! And she's like, oh, hey, Dave! And I'm like, hey. Um, I took her hand, and we came back to the vans. I was so relieved, because uh, the paperwork for that would have been a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it was... <laughs> I, had, I had all these students that I was responsible for, um, and, and the thought... Of, of losing one and the danger, like the things that rush through your mind, like what could, where could she be? What could be happening? I was so relieved to find her. Um, and so I was reminded of that and I think, I think it'll be pretty clear why. Um, you know, Matthew chapter 18, um, well, I did this, there we go. Matthew chapter 18, um, 12 through 14. This is Jesus speaking. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains? And go in search of the one that went astray. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to gather here this morning, um, in person and online. Uh, I pray right now that you would be with me as I speak, guide my words, and uh, open all of our ears and our hearts and our minds as you speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a um, little, little context for this. Uh, you may have heard this parable, uh, but you may not know, or maybe you do. Uh, Jesus actually tells this parable twice in two different contexts. 
So he tells it here in Matthew, but he also shares it in Luke chapter 15. And, and in Luke, he's speaking, he's hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors and who the Pharisees consider sinners. Um, and there are some Pharisees and teachers of the law hanging out there, and they start muttering to one another, can you believe this guy, like who he's hanging out with, who he's eating with? And Jesus knows what they're saying, so he addresses it. And he addresses it by sharing this parable, along with a parable about a lost coin, and then also a parable about a lost son. And so in that, the, the context of that gives this parable more of an evangelistic feel. Um, but here in Matthew, um, while it's the same parable and a lot of the same truths can be pulled from it, um, this one has more of a pastoral feel. And I'll explain, to, I'll explain that uh, as we kind of go on here. So, so the context here in Matthew is we have Jesus is actually talking to the disciples, um, and, and they've approached him with a question. Uh, this is kind of an abbreviated version of this, of this part of the Bible. Uh, Mark, in uh, chapter 9, uh, gives us a little more detail, where, it, where we come to find out that actually the disciples, as they're journeying along, start arguing with one another about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so here, Matthew kind of abbreviates that, and we get straight to the question. Um, the, uh, in, in the last chapter, in Matthew 17, uh, prior to this one, just five verses earlier, Jesus is, he shares with his disciples that he's actually going to be, um, he's going to die and then be raised to life. And it says in chapter 17 that the disciples were filled with grief. But somewhere on the journey from there to where they ended up now, um, their grief has turned towards anxiety and planning. And it shows us that they were fixated on, on kind of an earthly kingdom and, and they wanted to know what the rankings were in that, in that kingdom. Um, one commentary I read said that the disciples in their argument of who is the greatest were asking about the all-star team, while Jesus is pointing out, we need to talk about how to make the team. It's not about how great we are and what we can do for him, but it's about recognizing how great Jesus is and how much we need him and what he's done for us. And this is something that the kingdom values. So with that, uh, before he shares this parable, he takes the time, he wants to explain to his disciples um, how the kingdom works. And so he shares this parable, uh, and he starts right, he starts with this in 18 chapter 1 verses, uh, 18, chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him on the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's important to recognize here, and what Jesus is pointing out to us, is that the kingdom of heaven has a different value system than the world does. Um, today in the world, we want to raise up those who are the strongest or the smartest or the richest, the loudest, the most woke, the culture warrior. Uh, we want to we want to raise up those with the most YouTube describers or Instagram followers. And I would say even in the church, we're guilty of this, where we'll put people on pedestals just because they're charismatic or charming or, or what we consider strong. Um, maybe even individually, we do this by being more drawn to people just because they appear less messy and we're, we're more comfortable around them. I believe that what Jesus is pointing out is that the kingdom is less interested in those qualities and more interested in the qualities of one of these little ones that he has standing before him. So, like I said, Jesus literally has a kid standing there with them. And in that culture, uh, children had very little to no rights. 
Um, their value, especially if they were boys, was more in carrying on the family name and working the family trade as they got older. And yet Jesus is saying that they are of great value in the kingdom. So what is it about children that Jesus is pointing out and the kingdom finds so attractive? Well, Jesus seems to be focused on humility here, and even more so what one comedy I, or commentary uh, I read called a humble trustfulness. You know, there are children who believe their parents can do anything or that they can trust their parents for everything. And I know as they get older, um, it's a little harder to see that. But at a certain young age, this is true because they're completely dependent on their parents or guardians and all they know is their love and provision. Uh, my daughter Ellen, who's six now, when she was like three, four, guaranteed, anytime I was walking up the steps, she was walking down the steps. It didn't matter how far apart we were she would jump. She would jump into my arms. So I had to be very prepared as I went up the steps. Um, and she didn't care. She just did it. She, st- she doesn't do that today, but she just still kind of does. When she comes running out of school, she always runs right at me and just leaps into my arms. Um, Christ is saying that we need that kind of humility, one that fully trusts that God will fully provide, and one that is willing to jump into his arms without any earthly concern. Greatness in the kingdom is not about seeking praise and power, but seeking to serve others, especially those who are weak, struggling, and oppressed. And what are some ways we can do that? Well, not to sound too much like a commercial, but there are plenty of opportunities here in this church. Uh, For instance, with children, uh, as more and more people are coming back to service, I know that there's a large and growing need to help in children's ministry. Um, you can reach out to Beth Ann or Megan and, um, you know, because they're in need of volunteers that, that help in different aspects of children's ministry. You can reach out and find out where you can, where you can help with that. Um, another area in our church where we can show kingdom values is with, with family members, uh, who have children and family members with special needs and face many daily challenges. Um, Amy Gill is our special needs coordinator and you can reach out to her, uh, on how maybe you can support and walk alongside those families. We also have a food pantry that is in dire need of volunteers, and you can talk to the office about that. Um, and as we've talked about already, today's Resurrection Sunday. The offering that we're taking is going to support ministries that are specifically looking to minister to those who Jesus Christ values. Maybe God might be calling you to, more, to do more than contribute financially. You can talk to Carrie Silver, our outreach director, about other ways that maybe you can help these ministries in serving, God, uh, serving those that God values. And so um, as we kind of continue in this passage, Jesus kind of takes a little bit of a turn. He goes from talking to us about um, being like one of these little ones to now all of a sudden kind of talking about how to care for these little ones. Um, so in Matthew, uh, skip that one, 18, 5 through 6, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for, the, for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So this is why the parable of the lost sheep uh, has more, in Matthew, has more of a pastoral tone. Um, it's surrounded by teaching on how to care for one another. You know, here, by not causing uh, little ones to sin. And then after the parable, Anthony talked about this last week, where Jesus talks about how to uh, approach those who've sinned against you and how to forgive. Um, and here in verses 5 and 6, uh, basically, we have Jesus just flat out saying, don't mess with my family. These little ones are mine, and I don't want you messing with them. 
And I kind of love this. There's like really strong language here. Um, he's saying, if Jesus says, if you mess with my kids, having someone tie a massive stone around your neck and tossing you in the sea so that you drown while having the weight of the ocean crush you would be better than what I will do to you. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, oftentimes, I think when we think of the parable of the lost sheep, we picture Jesus like carrying this gentle lamb across the field. And it's probably because we all had like that grandma or aunt who had this picture in their house. Um, I know my grandma did. Um, I'm pretty sure there probably weren't too many grandmas that had this picture in their house. Um, <laughs> I love they put a shark there, too. I don't know why that's, that's there. <laughs> Oftentimes, when people, uh, people talk about Jesus, they want to associate Jesus with love. But with that, any talk of sin, they view as hateful and not of Jesus. But that's not what we see here. Jesus loves these little ones, and because of that, he takes sin very seriously. And and that's because sin harms, and it harms those he loves. A few months ago, Anthony made this point, and he gave this illustration of watching Todd's kids walk, and imagine if he just tripped one of them. Um, You know, how would Todd feel? Like, he would, you would be angry if someone wronged the ones you love. Um, and so sin harms and destroys. Therefore, we need to take it seriously because the kingdom does. Um, this doesn't mean that we need to be on a crusade telling everyone they're wrong. Um, but what it does mean is that we should be pointing our children and new believers towards God and his word. We should also be living it out in front of them. And once again, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that we're openly repentant so that they can see the gospel working out in us. Jesus kind of continues to um, stress the, uh, uh, his, the importance of uh, watching sin, um, and he gives this passage, uh, and a lot of us have heard it. He kind of re- is revisiting um, what he sees in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, he says this in chapter 5 of Matthew, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. Um, and, and, you know, this passage, uh, it's, what he's saying is that we should take sin seriously enough that we're willing to cut things out of our life that may cause us to sin. We shouldn't even mess around with it. Now, this passage has actually been brought up and discussed in the news recently and associated with the shootings in Atlanta because it's been, it's been misapplied, to be honest. And I think, I think that reminds us of how important it is that when we're interpreting and imply, applying Scripture to our lives, that we keep in full view the full counsel of God. For instance, Romans chapter 12 Uh, verses 17 through 19 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but have it to the, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, it literally says there, Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourself. Do not kill is one of the Ten Commandments. I want us to be reminded that God hates what happened in Atlanta. And we continue uh, to pray for our Asian and Asian-American brothers and sisters who have felt this situation deeply. What Jesus wants us to know is that sin comes out of our hearts. And he's not trying to create a, a list of do's and don'ts. His overall point here is to show us the seriousness and dangers of sin. And so with that, we come to this, this parable that we talked about. Um, we come to this lost sheep, one that is straight away. And the parable not only reinforces the care and concern that Jesus has for all of his flock, including the ones that are 
that are little and wander off, but I think it challenges us to consider how we as believers, and especially leaders or shepherds, care for those within our flock. If the shepherd has a hundred sheep and he notices that one has wandered off, he can't just sit there and say, well, I'm good with the 99. I'll just put all my focus and efforts into them. If that were his attitude little by little, he's going to continue to lose sheep and just focus on the number he has. Here, the shepherd shows that all of his sheep have value. He still cares about the 99. Like, they're on the mountain, and I'm pretty sure when he grabs that sheep, he brings them back to the 99. It's just that he recognizes the importance of bringing this one back. They've all been entrusted to him. And when he finds this sheep, he rejoices over it more than the 99 who did not go astray. And that doesn't mean that he loves that sheep more. It just means that having a lost one be found brings overwhelming joy to the heart of God. When I found Bridget, I was thrilled. It's not that I liked her more than the other kids. It's just that, you know, I knew she was safe, and it, it, was, it was just a great experience. Um, she was no longer in danger. So what does this parable mean for us? Well, the shepherd does not want us, the shepherd does not want to lose any entrusted to his care. That is how Jesus with us, is with us, and that is how we should be with the church. So first off, if you are one of those sheep who have gone astray, hear this message. If you feel that at one point in your life Jesus has meant something, but now you maybe he feels distant because of choices you've made or disappointments you've had, or maybe even you've been hurt by the church, Jesus has not given up on you. He's coming and he has open arms. Whatever has caused you to stray, he's taken care of that on the cross, and he wants to embrace you once again. And for those of us who maybe haven't drifted away, let's not be so focused on ourselves that we lose sight of those among us who have strayed. You know, some of us may have family members who've drifted away. Some of us may have people in our home groups or just friends within the church who've drifted away. Um, For all of these, we need to be careful not to give up on them or to write them off because Jesus hasn't. I'm standing here today because my grandmother daily loved and prayed for me as I was drifting away in high school and college. You know, I came across this sermon from Charles Spurgeon on this passage, and he says, try and think of one who has grievously gone astray. It may be there is uh, one such in your family, or you meet with one such in the course of trade. Think carefully of that one soul and reflect upon its sin and danger. You would like to pick out a hopeful case in order that you might feel sure of success. Take another course this time. Seek the one which is going astray and seems hopeless. Follow your Lord's example and go after the one who is least likely to be found. Will you try this plan? You know, during this pandemic, as we've been unable to meet, it's important that we try to check in on those who have not been with us in a while. There are some who are not coming and and won't be able to come for a while because of the virus, and, and that's fine. But we still want to reach out and check in on them and see how we can serve and encourage them. There may be others, though, who are just choosing not to come because maybe they've strayed or they've become comfortable just watching at home. I pray that as we start to see recovery from this pandemic and can gather together more, that we would look around and take notice of maybe missing sheep. This is going to be a season where paying attention to who has wandered off is going to be very important for the body of Christ. We all need to pray and be willing to search for those who have strayed. But what is the point of going after the lost sheep? Well, James 5, 19 through 20 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death 
and cover over a multitude of sins. And this might look on, this might be uncomfortable for some of us, right? Um, it, it may see, mean having to go do something that we're not comfortable with. When I was in high school, uh, we moved to a new town my sophomore year. And the town we moved to, the school district was like Abington. So high school was 10th through 12th grade. And so I moved there in 10th grade. I was at the bottom rung. And surprise, surprise, I was not the coolest kid. Um, I was quite nerdy. My ears have always been this size, but my head wasn't. Um, I was very thin and whatever. Um, and I remember the first day I walked into the lunchroom and looked around, and there was no one that looked welcoming. Um, I, they kind of just moved their eyes as I walked by. Um, and until I noticed in the corner of the lunchroom, there was one table with one kid sitting there. And I walked over and introduced myself, and he said, why don't you sit down? And it was a kid named Jared. And so every day, Jared and I sat together at lunch. And and we would even invite other people to come sit with us, and no one would. Um, And it was super awkward. We had each other, but it was still weird. Um, And then one day, out of nowhere, I have a cousin. Her name is Mel, and she was a senior in high school. And not only was she a senior, she had friends, and she was pretty. And one day, she walks into the lunchroom and sits down with me and Jared. I still remember Jared's look on his face. I thought he was going to fall out of his chair. He's like, what's happening? I was like, oh, hi, Mel. And every day from that point on, Mel came and ate lunch with us. And other people in the lunchroom would look and be like, what is going on here? Um, and I'll tell you what, that changed mine and Jared's entire like lunch experience and maybe even school experience. Um, Mel even came back, her, she came back from her freshman year of college and went to prom with Jared. That was super nice. Um, but but what is what I want to point out is that even just stepping out of your comfort zone um, and stepping into something that you're not used to can really change people's lives. Um, some of us may have our pockets of Christian friends and people we hang out with, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Community is a great is a great place where we can grow. What this parable may be challenging us though is that we may need to for a time leave the comfort of our 99 and venture off into rough patches or, or mud to meet these loved ones where they're at. Once again, Spurgeon says, Go after them. For so the shepherd did. He braved the mountain's slippery side. I do not suppose the shepherd had any great love for mountain tracks than you have, but up the rough tracks he climbed for the sheep's sake. Go after sinners into their poverty and wretchedness until you find them. I'm not trying to promote that we are people's saviors. That's Jesus' job. We should just be willing to show the same love that Jesus does. Let us never think so highly of ourselves that we think it not important to go after those who have gone astray. And let us never think that those who have wandered too far off are so far off that Jesus can't rescue them. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if Jesus has shown that love and devotion, let us do the same for our brothers and sisters who may be wandering. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. Um, Lord, I'm convicted, even as I was working through this and even just talking, Lord. Um, there are people uh, who I should be pursuing and, and have given up out of complacency or laziness, Lord. Um, yeah, Lord, help me to love your people as you have loved me. I pray for all of us here that, um, Lord, if you have laid anyone on someone's heart, that maybe we would just reach out with a text or a phone call today. Help us to be loving uh, to these little ones as you've loved us. I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.